It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Monday, February the 7th, 2022, a brand new week here on the Guy Benson Show. Welcome to the broadcast. Every day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, always honored and happy to have you here. Thank you for listening. If you miss any of the show for any reason, there's a podcast. It is free of charge of the whole show, on demand, once we're done at 6 p.m. Eastern, GuyBensonShow.com. All the info right there. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, wherever you get your podcasts. You've got options. Also, you can follow us on social media at GuyBensonShow. That's Twitter and Instagram. Programming note, I'll be joining my friend Kennedy tonight on her TV show, Fox Business Network, 7 p.m. hour Eastern. So perhaps we'll see you there. You can set your DVRs. On the radio side, here's who we've got today. Listen to this lineup. Former Governor Chris Christie, Republican, New Jersey. He will be here later in the hour talking politics. Josh Rogan of The Washington Post, who has been really exceptional in his coverage of China and the Olympics. Very critical, very pointed coverage. We will get his reaction to these winter games that are underway in Beijing and a big controversy at George Washington University, his alma mater. We'll get his reaction. I will explain that controversy coming up in our next hour. It is one of the most appalling and outrageous capitulations to Chinese propaganda that I've ever seen. That's the bad news. The good news is it's so appalling, so egregious, and the pushback has been so swift and forceful that the university... GW here in Washington, D.C., has already reversed course. All of those details, really shocking details, coming up later in the show. You do not want to miss that. And then later in our final hour, we will have Congressman Michael Waltz, who's a Republican from Florida, a Green Beret. He has co-produced a TV commercial criticizing China and the genocide games and calling out corporate sponsors. It's a 30-second ad featuring him and also Ennis Cantor Freedom, who is the human rights activist and NBA player for the Boston Celtics. NBC will not air the ad. We will. We're going to play the ad here, and we will get reaction from Congressman Waltz and from Ennis Cantor Freedom. They will both be here in our final hour. I was not kidding when I said we had a big show ahead. So that's all coming up. Fox News alert as we begin our opening hour. Stats, 76.4 million known cases, fully documented cases of COVID in the United States over the last two years. It's a massive undercount of the true number. And the number that we've been looking at most carefully recently is the trajectory and those cases, confirmed cases, down now 57% over two weeks ago. The Omicron wave is receding dramatically. The death toll 
is now above 900,000 in the United States. People dying with or of COVID in the U.S., 901,405. The Dow currently up 192 points at this hour, trading at 35,281. We'll update you on the closing bell number in our next hour. As we begin, there's a piece that I've written today at townhall.com talking about the privilege of Stacey Abrams, who is the Democratic candidate for governor down in Georgia. I'll be in Georgia later this week for an event at Extra, our affiliate down there, our great affiliate. Can't wait to be back in Atlanta. So more details on that still to come. But she's running for governor again. She thinks she won last time. Of course, she didn't. And she spent the last, what, couple of years since 2018, since losing to Governor Kemp by 50,000-plus votes statewide, she has spent that intervening period relentlessly lying and spreading disinformation. She never conceded the race. She has had all these top Democrats from Joe Biden to Hillary Clinton come down there and kiss the ring and indulge this fantasy that she was cheated or was robbed out of the election and there was voter suppression and underhanded dealings, an illegitimate win for the Republicans. That was all BS. She lost fair and square, and she won't admit it. When Trump lies about his election loss, everyone in the media goes crazy, and the Democrats say it's a threat to democracy, and guess what? We criticize it here. When it comes to her election lies, it's sort of like there's been a different standard because she's on the right team. Oh, and she's a strong woman of color, and therefore she's uh, sort of this uh, exalted status within the identity hierarchy that dominates progressive politics. And so a lot of people have gone along with these lies, these destructive, manipulative, provocative lies, including the big lie as well that the recent election changes in Georgia, totally legitimate reforms to their process down there, are tantamount to Jim Crow, which was her talking point. And then she got out over her skis a little too much with the talking point because she got the state boycotted in some major ways, and she did not want to be held responsible for that. It's like, oh, all that Jim Crow stuff, well, yeah, we meant it, but not that much. Please, please don't boycott. That's going to hurt our constituents, i.e., that's going to hurt my political ambitions. She wants it both ways. Then Biden and Harris go down there for the big event on her fake, phony signature issue, and she doesn't want to show up. She has a scheduling conflict because she's seen the polls. She doesn't want to be associated with Joe Biden because he's very unpopular in Georgia, and she's got a race to win. So she is this calculating, cynical figure who gets away with a lot and is greeted with approbation and applause and all this gushing everywhere she goes over on the left because that is the niche that she's carved out for herself and there are people very eager to play along. She posed for a photograph a couple days ago, and it is devastating. It is Stacey Abrams sitting on the floor of a classroom somewhere in Georgia, and there aren't a lot of masks in schools in Georgia, but in some places they still require them. She was at one of those classrooms. And this photograph, if you haven't seen it already, I mean, it really is, for a photo op, devastating. She's sitting cross-legged on the floor of the classroom, and she is surrounded 
on this classroom floor by young children. Every single one of them is masked. Then there are adults in the back of the room standing there looking on. They are all dutifully wearing masks as required, I guess, in this district. There is one person who clearly has so much privilege and no self-awareness who is not wearing a mask as a result. And it's Stacey Abrams sitting there with her hands in her lap with a big smile on her face, no mask, no cloth covering, nothing, as all of these little kids all around her are forced to wear masks. And of all the images that I have seen of Democratic politicians in particular preaching one thing and doing another, and we have documented basically all of them here, it seems to be a new one every day, this is the worst one that I've seen. It's just everything about the photograph screams, this is insane. This makes absolutely no sense. This is unfair to these kids. Why the hell does this woman get to get the big photo op with herself, the one special person with no mask? And all the kids have to do this for hours on end. It is a maddening image to look at. And I think it's just visceral when you see it. So she posted it on her social media. Some other people posted it. There were other photos from that event where she was also not wearing a mask because she was trying to pretend, oh, she just took it off for this and only for this reason. By the way, your excuses don't matter. If you believe that kids need to wear masks all the time in schools, it doesn't matter what your special reason is as your special excuse for taking your mask off repeatedly. It's irrelevant. She believes in school masking based on no science, based on no data. That is her tribal demand for these kids. It doesn't apply to her, but it applies to literally everyone else in the room. So she made the choice. Think about the type of bubble you have to be in to take that photograph, then to see that photograph and say, you know what, let me share that photo publicly. But that's exactly what she did. The criticism began, the photo then came down, but everyone had screenshotted it and shared it by that point. And I was very curious to see what Stacey Abrams and her campaign might do with this. Would they double down? They certainly wouldn't take the L, because they never do. Even when she loses, she won't admit that she lost. So I was like, is she going to now pivot to being in favor of unmasking the children? Because that might actually be a smart political move. Maybe she could be a leader on her side of the aisle. Nope. She decided to go on the attack and to play the race card. Are you surprised? The Abrams campaign put out the statement yesterday, it is shameful that our opponents are using a Black History Month reading event for Georgia children as the impetus for a false political attack. And it is pitiful and predictable that our opponents continue to look for opportunities to distract from their failed records, blah, blah, blah. And one of her campaign flacks said that Abrams' opponents took a brief break from licking Trump's boots to issue baseless attacks that are dishonest. I think that would come as news, by the way, to Governor Kemp. Bootlicker for Trump, the guy who Trump is recruiting someone to run against him because he wouldn't steal the election for Trump, that's not really the bootlicking 
that comes to mind for me at least. But I guess that's what they're doing. They're they're name checking Trump because they want to get Trump in there. There's that signal to their fellow leftists. Don't criticize us for this because then you'll be on the side of Trump. It's not subtle. It's very ham handed. Then they invoke Black History Month because that's super relevant. Maybe if you're a black woman Democrat in a classroom, there's a special science asterisk where everyone else needs to wear their masks except for you if it's Black History Month and you're reading a story to the kids or something. Sounds very sciency to me, doesn't it? And they keep saying on, on top of the obvious race card being played there and the Trump card being played there, how many times do they, what, it's like uh, dishonest, baseless, false? I'm sorry, what's false or baseless about this? She posted the photo of herself. It shows what it shows. There's nothing false about it. She supports the policy of forcing these kids to wear masks in schools with no data to back it up when she wouldn't wear her mask in their school and was the only one. By the way, one of their excuses that they put out in their spin was that it was okay for her not to be wearing the mask for certain periods of time because they made sure everyone else was masked. It's like, oh, oh, that's, that's a great one. Oh, don't worry. It's okay for this adult with comorbidities to be maskless because we forced all the kids around her to wear masks to accommodate her and her need to not wear a mask for her photographs. What an amazing line that was. And again, they chose to go there. That was part of their official response. Then they say it's baseless and dishonest and false. It's all real. And by the way, if it was all so false and baseless, why did you delete the photograph that was causing you problems. They deleted it for a reason. But then they decided they had to double down. It's so embarrassing. It's also extremely revealing. It's this level of privilege where it's almost, I think, a flex at this point. It's a status symbol. If you are at a certain level of power and influence within the correct tribe... You can be as hypocritical, flagrantly hypocritical as you want. You can flaunt it. And you can just sort of mumble some responses and say it's a lie or make totally false excuses about it. This is the Gavin Newsom effect. Randy Weingarten, the union boss, that she tweeted in solidarity with Chicago schools, forcing those kids to keep their masks on yesterday. Because a judge in Illinois said it's now mask optional, and Chicago said no. And Randy Randy Weingarten's like, yeah, good for you. Mask those kids. Same day, posted a photo of herself indoors at an event in Las Vegas, no mask. They're flaunting it. They have special privilege that applies to them. Gavin Newsom, of course, very much in this category. It does not apply to anyone. It certainly does not apply to the children who have no choice. They have to wear those masks despite the known harms of force masking with no established upside in terms of safety or science or health. And when they're called out, they have their various replies, no matter how shameless. And this one is especially shameless from Stacey Abrams. And the most interesting part about it is that she picked a very bad time to do this because it appears that even within her own party, the tide is finally 
belatedly, scandalously belatedly, starting to shift away from school masking. At the exact moment that she's tripling down on this stuff because of her awful, devastating photo op. It doesn't take any explanation. You just look at it and you immediately see the injustice of it. And that was her choice, to take the photo and then to promote the photo. We'll talk about the turning tide in some blue states. We'll get to those as soon as we come back on the Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. Guy Benson will be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. <laughs> His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Because of the dramatic decline in our COVID numbers, effective Monday, March 7th, the statewide school mask mandate will be lifted. Additionally, we will lift the statewide mandate in all child care settings. Later this week, we will extend the public health emergency by 30 days to allow for this mask mandate to continue until then and then be responsibly lifted. It's the Guy Benson Show. That was Governor Phil Murphy in New Jersey, a Democrat, announcing that, oh, what, what month from now, March 7th, month from today, they're going to be lifting the school mask mandates across the state. Now, some schools and districts can continue to force the kids to wear masks, and I'm sure that'll be a big, crazy fight among the progressives. But the mask mandate in deep blue New Jersey is going away. I don't know why it needs to be a month from now. The science has not supported masking kids in school for the last year plus. And now cases have plummeted on top of that. I mean, you could lift it next week. You could lift it tomorrow. Punting it a month, I think, is trying to find a middle ground. You don't get a lot of credit. If you've been ignoring the science for months and then you make weeks and weeks 
transpire until finally some relief arrives. I'm not that impressed. It's better than the alternative, though. In Delaware, President Biden's home state, governor, a Democrat, announcing that they're going to lift their child school mask mandates at the end of next month. So seven weeks from now. Again, these delays are crazy, but at least it's shifting. At least these states in these blue areas are moving away from the mindless, harmful school-forced masking policies. Will the blue counties of Virginia sue these Democratic governors too, I wonder? You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. As we continue here on the Guy Benson Show on this Monday, glad to have you here. GuyBensonShow.com podcast, free on demand every day. With us now is Governor Chris Christie. 55th governor of the state of New Jersey, a Republican, author of the book Republican Rescue. You can follow him on Twitter at GovChristie. And, Governor, great to have you back here. Thanks for having me, Guy. Good to be back. I want to start with a Jersey-related question because we were just talking about it in the last segment. Governor Murphy, current governor, Democrat, has announced today that one month from now he's going to lift the statewide mask mandate for kids in schools, And I know that he's getting a fair amount of applause for this because a lot of people have been waiting a very long time for some of these leaders, especially in blue cities and blue states, to catch up with the science that the rest of us have known and seen for more than a year. New Jersey, I mean, it's, it's crazy to say that March 7th, 2022 is some sort of breakthrough, but because of how recalcitrant so many of these Democrats have been and sort of part of this weird masking cult for children jersey making this change feels like something of a watershed i don't know why he's waiting another month based on i don't know what the data is there but that's what he's decided to do i just wonder what you make of the timing of this the decision that was finally made you know as i alluded to there are kids without masks all over the country doing fine all of last school year all over like around the world in the uk and in europe Finally, certain parts in the U.S. are starting to slowly move in that direction. And is it too cynical for me to wonder if the politics of this changing is what is catalyzing these decisions as opposed to the science? No, because it's been politics for most of the time, Guy, that's been driving the decisions in blue states, especially, uh, you know, my home state. Look, Phil Murphy had a near-death experience um, in November. Uh, in his reelect, the reelect that was supposed to be a 15 to 20 point win wound up being a very narrow three point win where he lost seven seats in the state legislature. Um, he, he now has much less of a margin for error in the state legislature than he had before. They are passing a, a bill and the Senate new Senate president has said he's going to move this bill to restrict uh, Governor Murphy's emergency powers. Um, and so I think the politics are closing in on Phil Murphy, and that's why he did this. He did this, I think, and I think you'll see, he'll probably wind up avoiding that piece of legislation now um, that was going to severely limit his emergency powers. And so I think it's all about politics. And the waiting of a month is because he's a stubborn guy. And he doesn't want to admit he was wrong um, to have the masks on for this long. So he's going to give it a month to make it seem like, you know, I was right about this, and we still need another month. But I'm going to, uh, you know, do it uh, and get rid of it after a month. It's, a, it's an emblem of 
Phil Murphy's declining political position in the state capitol and his stubbornness. And what's interesting, Governor, is that, you know, at least he's doing it. And again, you're not even going to get really half a clap from me because it's a year delayed and he's delaying it another month for no reason. And I really do think that this is a political calculation you got to at least recognize that at least, you know, he sees what that calculation now is. He feels the shift in public opinion. He understands that it's not just COVID fatigue, but also the data. When you combine these things, the people out there in America are restless and they're tired of this stuff, especially when it flies in the face of science. There are lots of other Democrats who have yet to wake up to that reality. Like Murphy, as you mentioned, almost lost in November, had a real scare. And so maybe he's a little bit more attuned to this stuff. But it feels like so many people have dug in so hard on masking kids, almost like this tribal litmus test, right, where you have the blue counties in Virginia suing Governor Yunkin over what now a Democrat has announced in New Jersey, another Democrat has announced in Delaware. I mean, are those lawsuits going to go against Democrats, too, or are those only the lawsuits to signal resistance to Republicans? It just feels all like politics all the way down with kids almost as the pawns in all of this. But you've got other folks tripling down on this stuff, like Stacey Abrams, who put a photo out there of herself in a room, a classroom filled with kids forced to wear masks. She's the only human being in the room not wearing a mask. Big smile, front and center. It's obviously an outrageous photo that she took and then decided to share on her social media. And rather than maybe saying, this might be perhaps a moment to shift the conversation and move away from forced masking of children, she's saying, no, it is shameful and a lie to criticize me for this, especially during Black History Month, and I support the masking of kids in schools. I mean, that is pretty brazen stuff from her. Yeah, I, uh, let me let me deal with both of those. First on Phil Murphy, I, I think you're right, guy. He deserves credit. He deserves credit for being a craven, crass hypocrite. Um, and and now since that cravenness and crassness serves his political purpose, he'll stop torturing children by forcing them to wear masks in school for no reason. So I'll give him credit. That's the credit I'll give him. And I'd say <laughs> very generous. Uh, you know me. I'm, I'm, I'm uh-huh. yes, just ma- magnanimous as always. And Stacey Abrams, look, her display is a display of the arrogance of the left. And we see it with Kevin Newsom, uh, with Magic Johnson, Mayor Garcetti with Magic Johnson. You know, they have all these strict mask rules, except when they're around a celebrity that they want a picture of. And then to have Garcetti say, that he was holding his breath I know. <laughs> during the picture. I mean, you know, I never thought that anyone would get better than Bill Clinton's I didn't inhale. But I think <laughs> Garcetti's I was holding my breath now puts Bill Clinton's I didn't inhale in political. Yeah, this was place. I didn't exhale. Right. It's just it's just incredible. And so I think what you're seeing is these are folks who love government control love dictating to people what they can and can't do. Uh, and they now know how incredibly unpopular it is because it's not supported by science. American people will support restrictions for a period of time in this pandemic they did, but they believed were supported by science. 
But as soon as science wasn't backing them up, you had smart governors like Brian Kemp in Georgia who said, there's no science behind this. I'm opening the state up. That's it. Let's see what happens. And, um, you know, those are the kind of people who should be rewarded this fall. And we shouldn't be giving credit to people like Phil Murphy. Um, and we certainly should be holding to account hypocrites um, and, and elitists. Like well, I remember, since you mentioned Governor Kemp in Georgia, I remember when he opened up the state, there were headlines like, this is Georgia's experiment in human sacrifice. That type of hyperbole. And I just wonder, is forcing a bunch of little kids to wear masks all day where Stacey Abrams can waltz in with no mask and take all of her photos, feels like that's another version of child sacrifice. You're asking those kids to sacrifice a lot for absolutely nothing. And the adults who support these policies, obviously in some of these elite cases, don't even believe that the policies matter or work because they, they flout them whenever they feel like it. Well, that's exactly right. And, and so, you know, to me, Guy, what we're looking at here is one of the marked differences between the two parties right now. And, and that is the role of government. And, and how invasive should government be in people's daily lives and daily choices? And I think the Republican Party has got to get back to talking about that even more boldly and directly um, as something that impacts the economy, national defense, education, health care, all the issues that people care about. This fundamental question it affects it. And we've seen that during this pandemic. Shifting gears to the Republican Party, we played on Friday on this show some breaking news, a soundbite from a speech former Vice President Mike Pence was giving at the Federalist Society. He was responding to this argument made in a series of statements by former President Trump that Pence could have single-handedly overturned the election in 2020. And Pence wanted to state clearly, apparently for the record, that that was not true Here's what he said, cut eight. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. Under the Constitution, I had no right to change the outcome of our election. I mean, obviously, he's correct. And that phrase overturn the election is not something that he invented out of whole cloth. That was part of what President Trump had put into one of his own statements about what he was uh, demanding of then Vice President Pence. I know that you've had uh, some strong words for former President Trump on this whole issue set. It's just, to me, kind of exhausting to see him refusing to let this go, continuing to push this stuff. And it feels like most of the statements he puts out that get attention these days are him attacking other Republicans, including his own vice president, including Mitch McConnell over in the Senate, calling everyone who won't try to steal the election for him rhinos. I just don't see how this is beneficial to the party winning in 2022 and especially in 2024 when winning is going to be so critically important. Well, look, it's not. And. You know, that's why I wrote the book that you referenced at the top to try to lay out to people why we needed to focus on the dangerous policies of Joe Biden and not on the 2020 election and to lay out for them very clearly why there is no evidence that the election was stolen, that even one state was stolen, let alone the half a dozen states that would be necessary to have changed the result of the election. And Donald Trump knows this. Um, he, He knows it. 
Uh, but he cannot live with this idea that he somehow lost to Joe Biden. Believe me, if I lost to Joe Biden, I'd be pretty depressed, too. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is you got to put the party and the country first. And right now, when you have the RNC going off on the frolicking detour they went off on this weekend, um, we should be. And the ironic thing, Guy, is in their in their resolution, they say that the reason they're going after Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger is because they're distracting from a focus on Joe Biden's failed policies. Well, who exactly is distracting from the failed policies of Joe Biden? The RNC has passed a resolution which now, because of its, its sloppy language, has gotten a lot of attention. And, uh, you know, you, it's distracting from us talking about Joe Biden's inflation. Joe Biden, you know, one stat I talked about last week, Guy, Joe Biden's policies are forcing the state of North Dakota to leave 500,000 barrels of oil a day in the ground in North Dakota. 500,000 barrels of oil a day, they're being prevented from developing. And yet Joe Biden's begging OPEC to increase production so that we can lower gas prices. If he would just allow... Yeah, and he shut down the pipeline here, but he greenlit Putin's pipeline. It's just been this incoherent mess on energy. I mean, you go down the list. It's been a failure on virtually every single front from this administration and this president. And that's what we're talking about, Guy. That's what we should be talking about. Not 2020, not vendettas against people um, who voted for impeachment or people who weren't sufficiently supportive of Donald Trump in his mind. We shouldn't be having conditional endorsements of the governor of Alaska, uh, but only if he doesn't endorse Lisa Murkowski. I mean, this is juvenile stuff. And we need to move on to the important stuff that Joe Biden is doing that is really damaging our country in the near term and in the long term. That's what I want our party and its leaders to be focusing on. So I wonder what you think of this, because the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, was asked about this, I believe it was today. And the question, paraphrasing, was, is Trump right about the 2020 election or is Pence right about the 2020 election? And DeSantis basically punted. He's like, I'm not going there. Is that the smart play for someone in that position to just say, I'm not engaging in the backwards-looking food fight, or should he be taking some sort of a stand? What's your read on that? Well, look, I just think when you're in public life, you have an obligation to answer questions when the answers are obvious. I mean, this is also like Governor DeSantis not being willing to answer whether he got the booster shot or not. Um, I, I understand people have medical privacy issues, but you're a leader who's attempting to encourage people which I assume the governor is. To, and he has. To be back to, and he has, right? So why not answer that question? I think sometimes people who are inexperienced in politics get themselves a little bit too wound up in trying to overthink this stuff. I think the best policy has always been use common sense and tell the truth. And the truth of the matter is that, of course, Mike Pence is right. He does not have the authority to have overturned the election as the vice president. You don't have to get into whether you think all the voting was perfect or whether even if whether you thought the election was fair or not in that question that he was asked. Just who's right? Well, Pence is obviously legally, constitutionally correct. Why would you have a hard time answering that question? And when you're trying to be too cute on this stuff, my experience has been over the last decade and a half, I've been in national public life. 
it, it almost always comes back to bite you. Governor Christie, last question as we look a few months into the future here. Very bleak moment for the Democrats. Things could improve on some fronts. They may, you know, deteriorate further on others. It's hard to predict what things are going to look like in September or October. But as things stand right now and based on your sense of the rhythms of politics, do you think that the Republicans will win not just the House but also the Senate this year? I think we're going to take 40 to 45 seats in the House, um, and I think we win the Senate uh, by two seats. Okay, that's we can mark that down for now and maybe track if that changes over time based on events on the ground and everything. But right now, that sounds about right to me. Uh, That's a big number on the House side, but there's a reason why a lot of these House Democrats are heading for the exits. I think they see what's coming, at least based on current conditions. Governor Chris Christie, former governor of the state of New Jersey. His book is Republican Rescue. Governor, always appreciate it. Talk again soon. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. We'll be right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. It's The Guy Benson Show. Last week, we brought you a monologue about the really serious crime problem in Washington, D.C., and we juxtaposed the obsession with these city bureaucrats forcing people to show their papers and their vaccine stuff and their photo ID just to go to dinner versus the carjackings, shootings, murders, massive homelessness problem, all of these other issues plaguing the city. And on and on it goes. Here's an example. There's a little chain of coffee houses, busboys and poets, Robbed yesterday in D.C., one of the locations, police looking for three males, two with rifles, one with a handgun. They robbed the busboys and poets on K Street. That was yesterday evening, uh, fleeing in a black sedan. And uh, I wonder, when the mayor found out about this, if she was wondering if they were wearing their masks. Were they vaccinated, though? Of course, she doesn't wear her mask when she doesn't want to, even though it's her own order that she puts in place. It's just it's totally backwards priorities. There's something about D.C., man. And by the way, talking about the mask mandates and kids in schools, the White House was asked about it because some of these Democrats are finally shifting away. Could the dam be breaking? Jen Psaki today saying, nope, President Biden still believes you got to follow the CDC and the mask should stay on the children harmful, anti-science, and they are digging in their heels on that at the White House. Sorry, kids. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. A brand new hour on the Guy Benson Show. We're underway. Thanks for listening. 3 to 6 Eastern every weekday, around the clock, on demand for free on the podcast, GuyBensonShow.com. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. All the info is there. I'll be on Kennedy tonight, Fox Business Network TV, with my friend Kennedy. 7 p.m. Eastern hour. Looking forward to that. Still to come here in this hour, Josh Rogan will be here from the Washington Post. Next hour, Congressman Waltz from Florida and Ennis Cantor Freedom, 
of the Boston Celtics. They will be here together talking about an ad about the genocide games, as they're calling the Beijing Olympics, that NBC is refusing to air. We will play you the ad. We will talk to about that saga and related issues that's coming up. Fox News alert as we begin our second hour. The Dow had a sell-off at the end of the day, closing up one point to 35,091. I tease this at the top of the show, and I'm eager to get into this. An absolutely scandalous situation at George Washington University here in our nation's capital. And an equally scandalous email from the university president that has now gone public. There's been a huge amount of pressure. There's been definitely some blowback. And now the school and the university president have reversed themselves. Let me explain the story. You may have seen on social media, I've shared it several times on my feed, uh, over on Twitter at Guy P. Benson, there's this really profound, very impressive but disturbing art that has been put together by an artist, a Chinese artist who's a dissident who is living in exile outside of China because his identity was compromised, his family was threatened, so he fled China. He is Chinese. He loves China. He loves his heritage. He hates the regime. So with these Olympic Games getting going, with the backdrop of so many human rights crimes committed by the Chinese government against the Uyghurs with the genocide, Hong Kong, the COVID COVID cover-up, I mean, you know the list at this point. We go through it all the time. For Beijing, the capital city of that country, to be awarded this prestigious platform, this event, is outrageous to many people, and it's especially outrageous to people like this artist who goes by the name Badiou Kao. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And we are working to get him on this show tomorrow, by the way. He now lives in the West. But he put together five different posters with the Beijing 2020 Olympic logo and then this very sort of clever, damning, brutal, savage, I'm sure the Chinese would call subversive images, where, for example, there's a snowboarder who is wearing the Chinese colors and the Chinese flag, and he's snowboarding, but the board itself is a surveillance camera. Then there's a hockey player wearing the Chinese uniform who is body-checking a Tibetan monk. Then you've got, the, I believe, the decathlon, where the uh, Chinese athlete with the Chinese flag is holding a rifle to the head of a blindfolded Uyghur. You've got a figure skater, again, wearing the Chinese uniform with that flag, who is skating with the blades of his skate slicing up Hong Kong's flag, that flower emblem, which is bleeding, sliced and diced by the Chinese figure skater. And finally, there's the curling event, which a lot of people get a kick out of in the Winter Olympics, right? where they kind of push, they slide that puck-looking thing down the ice, and they try to sweep it to a specific location around a target, instead of the puck or whatever that 
item is called in the sport of curling, it is a virus, right? Clearly a reference to COVID. So he's made these five different posters. They are extremely arresting. They grab your attention. They are powerful. They're very powerful. Making a political statement about the Chinese Communist Party and what the Beijing Games shamefully stand for in some ways and are absolutely shamelessly covered up. At least that's the goal of the Chinese Communist Party. Say, hey, come look at our big show in Beijing. All the lights, all the cameras, all the athletic events and the prestige. Let's not think about these other things. And what this artist has done is force people to think about them by using the Olympics motif to highlight these abuses. It's genius. And as soon as you see it, I mean, your eye goes straight to it. So there were some students or community members at George Washington University, just down the road from where I'm broadcasting from. And they went and they put these posters up, they printed them out, and they put them up around campus. Absolutely crystal clear, sort of like slam dunk, free expression, free speech against a totalitarian regime abusing people, engaged in a genocide against minorities. So they were, these placards were put up around campus. And then there was a group of pro CCP, pro regime students, who declared themselves offended by this. And they went to the school. They went to the diversity and equity office, of course. They wrote to the president of the university. They complained to the police, the campus police. And the gist of their argument was, and it's predictable. I mean, they know, and these are stooges for the regime. Taking their marching orders from China, borrowing from the CCP playbook, and also capitalizing on and exploiting the ridiculous wokeness that pervades so many of these campus, uh, these campuses around our country, where student tantrums and claims of victimhood and harm and so-called violence in speech that they don't like, they decided they were going to take advantage of that and call that play. Go with the identity politics woke stuff to try to get this criticism of the regime in China taken down because they were saying it's harmful, it's offensive, it's misleading propaganda, it's racist, it stirs up racial resentment. They know exactly what they're doing. They're using our woke rules. This is why we talk about woke tales, by the way. It's not just to make fun of these people, although they often deserve to be made fun of as well. It's dangerous. And our adversaries see this ridiculous culture that they're creating and enforcing ruthlessly. Think about the whole Joe Rogan scenario playing out right now and that whole contretemps. And they say, okay, this is a weakness in their society. Let's use it against them. So this Chinese Student Association, made up of pro-CCP Chinese students, they go and they claim their victimhood, they claim their grievance. Not surprising that they would try. They would attempt this. What is shocking, maybe it shouldn't be, but it is shocking and scandalous. The school took their side. So there was an email that was written 
by the university president to this organization of Chinese students. Dr. Mark Wrighton, who is the new president at GW, wrote this. Please know, I'm quoting now, please know that I am personally offended by the posters. I treasure the opportunity to work with talented people from all over the world, including China. Your reaching out to me directly is much appreciated, and we are working to have all of these offensive posters removed as soon as possible. I, too, am saddened by this terrible event. And we will undertake an effort to determine who is responsible. Sincerely, Mark Wrighton, president at George Washington University. So he tells these kids, like, rather than saying, oh, I'm sorry that you're offended, but we respect, I'm also offended, but we have to respect free speech, and this is protected, and, and this is the type of thing that we encourage, and, and you can have your vantage point. No, he didn't do that. He just completely caved to them in every way. I'm personally offended. He said we are working to have all these offensive posters removed ASAP. He called the posting of this art a, quote, terrible event. And promised that they would investigate who's responsible for this terrible event. By the way, the terrible event that he's referring to, just to remind you, just so we're clear, is not the mistreatment of Tibetans or the genocide against Uyghurs or the crushing of democracy in Hong Kong or the surveillance state or the covering up of the virus and the origins. That's not the terrible event. The terrible event is students putting up posters criticizing the genocidal communist regime in China. And the investigation that he promised was into who had the temerity to put up this offensive material on campus. So this group, the Chinese Cultural Association, it's a student group, they put out a public statement on this, calling them unauthorized posters. That's so creepy and Orwellian and authoritarian. And they boast in their public statements that they reached out to the diversity office, and one of those officials said, oh yes, this is hurtful and offensive. Has a negative impact on the Chinese student community. You know what has an actual negative impact on the Chinese community? The Chinese Communist Party that's abusing their own people. I mean, these people are so far up their own you-know-whats on diversity and equity and political correctness and wokeness and identity politics and all this stuff. All you have to do is invoke identity and victimhood, and they are like to the ramparts to protect you against free speech where that core American value is set off to the side in a heartbeat. The Chinese Cultural Association group went on, claiming that they support free speech in this statement. This is, again, this is what communists do. They said, oh, yes, uh, we, we do support free speech, but we, quote, do not regard misleading and offensive propaganda as within that scope. So they are trying to limit the scope of what counts as free speech in America. These communists, these Chinese Communist Party loyalists at GW say everyone has the right of freedom of expression. However, incitement to racial hatred and ethnic tensions, regardless of national boundaries, is not tolerated. So they don't support free speech. They support free speech in the same way that the CCP supports free speech, which is to say they don't. And there's no incitement to racial hatred. This is the lie that the Communist Party propagandists try to 
perpetrate, and it works on the left in this country. If you criticize the Chinese government, they say, that's racist. All right, that's all you can't talk about. Wuhan, you can't call it what you know, the China virus. That's all super racist. In this case, being anti-genocide by a government, that's racist. They try to just conflate these things in order to shut down criticism. It's not subtle. They're doing it. It's, it's obvious. It's very clumsy. But in this case, at GW, it worked. And of course, it must be pointed out when they're saying, oh, this is racist. This is whipping up race, racial hatred. The artist who made the posters, the artist who produced this really profound protest art is Chinese. He's not racist against himself. He's angry that the Chinese people are being oppressed by a regime. The victims of the oppression are Chinese. This is the opposite of racism. And yet that's the card that they played because they know what works in this country these days when woke leftists are in charge of things and in charge of institutions. And so here you have the school investigating, denouncing, saying it's offensive, they're going to take it down. It's mind-blowing. Now, I tweeted about this a lot last night and uh, into today, and there has been a pile-on, a deserved pile-on. I would imagine that the school has heard from alum, uh, alumni who called up, journalists, Some of them, prominent ones from across the spectrum, have been like, what the hell is this? Human rights groups, free speech groups. I mean, this has blown up, as it should. This is a self-inflicted black eye on George Washington University. They did it to themselves by instantly being cowed by lowbrow communist propaganda that is indistinguishable from the woke crap that they're used to caving to. And the backlash has been so severe that now we have a retreat. Earlier this afternoon, we will get to the retreat as soon as we come back. I guess that's the good news. The whole episode is deeply disturbing. It is very, very concerning that the initial instinct of this institution was side with the communists. But at least we have enough of a heartbeat left in this country that GW has been forced into retreat, and we will read you that statement when we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. So we gave you all the build-up to this, then the huge irate response to GW University and the president at that school siding with the communist propaganda against free speech. It was just breathtaking. And that fury has, I guess, been too much for them to withstand. So the president at GW, Mark Wrighton, has put out a new statement this afternoon saying that he did not understand what the posters actually depicted. And he said, look, there were complaints, citing bias and racism against the community. He said that he didn't know about what was actually involved with this art. He said he was concerned. He said he responded too hastily. He didn't just say that, by the way. He said it was offensive. They're going to be removed immediately, and there's going to be an investigation. So he went a lot further than he's admitting now. But he says that reply to those 
so-called concerned students, the CCP apologists, he said those responses, quote, were mistakes. He said, I have since learned from our university's scholars that these posters were designed by a Chinese-Australian artist. They are a critique of China's policies. Upon full understanding, I do not view these posters as racist. They are political statements. There is no university investigation underway, and the university will not take any action against the students who displayed the posters. I want to be very clear, he writes. I support freedom of speech even when it offends people. And creative art is a valued way to communicate on important societal issues. And then uh, he just goes on about the uh, critical work of the university, so on and so forth. So this is a full reversal at GW. And look, I'm glad it's better than if they had doubled down. I mean, my goodness, I don't think that was a viable option for them. I think that they would have had a real problem. There were members of Congress sounding off and getting involved. I think there were probably donors rightly disturbed by this whole episode. But be aware of the tactics at play, the Chinese Communist Party's influence program and how they use our institutions and our sort of wokeness against us. More on this with Josh Rogan next. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. Podcast is free every day. With us now is Josh Rogan, columnist for the Global Opinion section of the Washington Post. He's author of the book Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, She, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Josh, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Guy. Well, we just spent some time talking about an issue that I have written about for tomorrow at townhall.com that I've been tweeting a lot about. I know you've been following it closely because it aligns with not only an issue of great concern to you and a topic of your book, but also your own alma mater, George Washington University, and what has been revealed about the suppression of anti-CCP speech on that campus, apparently coming all the way from the very top, the university president himself, I just wonder, as a China hawk, certainly a China watcher, as someone who deeply values the First Amendment, and as someone who went to GW, what are your thoughts on what I view as a scandal at your alma mater? Right. Well, you may have seen that, uh, according to a new statement issued by uh, the president of the George Washington University, he has now reversed his position, and he now has come out forcefully in favor of the free speech of students and political speech by people who want to stand up to uh, CCP and uh, human rights abuses. And uh, what he said in the statement is that he, upon thinking about it and learning from university scholars, he had learned that actually when a Chinese dissident artist uh, paints art that protests Chinese government atrocities, that's not racist, okay? That's not offensive to China. That's because the CCP is not a race, the Chinese government is not a race. And he realized that actually this is part of what the mission of this university historically had been and should continue to be, which is to provide a forum for human rights advocacy. When I went to GW, I heard all the stories about how it was the center of the anti-apartheid movement in the 80s. And, you know, when I was there, we didn't really have something com- comparable to that, but GW students today do. And it's the Uyghur genocide, and they're all over it. And wh- the reason that the university president got all twisted on this, I think, was because he took the word of the Chinese Student and Scholars Association 
uh, without thinking twice about whether or not their motivations in claiming to be victimized by protest posters that are actually targeted at the Chinese Communist Party without thinking about whether they might have another motive than that. And this gets into the part of my book about Chinese influence operations. This is how influence operations work, right? You have these student organizations that are in many cases linked up with the embassies and consulates and push the Chinese Communist Party's agenda on our campuses uh, by sort of laundering them through proxy organizations. And that can be student associations. It can be, you know, Confucius Institutes. It can be, um, you know, uh, the Reunification Committee of South Florida or whatever it is. And that's what they do. They they take the Chinese communist talking points, in this case, that protesting against genocide is racism, which doesn't make any sense if you think about it, because genocide is the most racist thing you could ever do, right? There's nothing right, more the racist victims, than ethnic... Yeah, the victims and, are Chinese. The victims are minority, and the artist in this case is Chinese. But exactly. they took this sort of woke, this twisted woke piety that criticizing right. the CCP is racist. They ran with it. I'm not surprised right. that communists... Stooges would try that. What was shocking to me is that it worked. And I know that the statement That's came out I'm earlier saying, today, and, and this was a reversal from the administration, a reversal from the president, but we have that email from him. His instinct, his first instinct was to side with them, to take down the posters, to promise investigations, all of these things based on this grievance of fake victimhood. That is extremely distressing to me. It is. It is. And yes, you could look at that as the glass half empty or you could say, look, listen, it took him a day and getting like, you know, dunked on on Twitter for 24 hours and having his emails exposed for him to do the right thing. But eventually he did the right thing. And whether or not he wanted to do the, I don't know what's in a person's heart. But the bottom line is that five years ago, we didn't have enough understanding of Chinese influence operations to even make that argument. Now, when an instance of a university president pops up where he's just taking Chinese Communist Party propaganda lines and using them to squelch free speech on campus, there's an outrage, okay? And there was an outrage, and that was because of journalists like you. It was because of students on campus that I know. It was because Badia Chow, who's the Chinese-Australian <laughs> dissident artist, was pretty pissed off that he was being called a racist considering he's Chinese and he's trying to stand up for minorities. And it was a combination of all those things that pressure the university into switching course. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real problem that their knee-jerk reaction was to believe the CCP line as it was delivered to them, and only, they only reversed themselves under severe pressure. But at least they reversed themselves. That's a silver lining, let's say. What do you make, Josh, of the coverage of these Olympics? We've seen some whitewashing, for sure, and some strange framing. Some people walking on eggshells. How do you call out the Chinese Communist Party without making them too angry? There's that video that's gone viral of a journalist, I believe a Dutch journalist, being basically blocked on the air and apprehended, taken into custody while doing a live report from Beijing during these Olympics. What do you think that the responsibility is of the international press? I mean, the IOC made their decision. There was no real effort to strip China of the games or to relocate them, so... Here they are. I'm not watching them for various reasons this year, but they're happening. What's the responsibility of journalists who are covering these games, particularly given the context that you have journalists from Hong Kong, for example, who've been jailed simply for sticking up for their own rights that are being stripped away systematically by this same regime? Right. Well, you know, I, first of all, I think different journalists have taken different approaches and we should credit the good ones and criticize the bad ones. I've been very critical of NBC's coverage because I woke up early that morning to watch the opening ceremony to see how they were going to handle this. And what they did is they uh, split the baby right down the middle. They both sides to genocide. They had on quote unquote analysts to say that 
On the one hand, and this is a quote, Western governments, the White House, human rights groups allege that the Chinese government is alleged in a systematic Muslim repression of Muslim Uyghurs. And then on the other hand, it has to be said that, this is another quote, that the Chinese government emphatically denies all of this. They say allegations of genocide is the lie of the century. And at no point did any of the NBC journalists, the news people, step in to say, but wait a second, one of those things is true and one of those things is a right, lie. Right, right. Okay? This side says this. The other side counters what with this. Yeah, well, you can make up your own mind, but there is an actual truth. There are documented elements of proof of what the Chinese are up to. And I feel like that's the responsibility journalistically to say side A says X, side B says Y, and here's what the evidence shows. Of course. And this reveals what their severe conflict of interest in paying the Chinese Communist Party for the privilege of covering the games that are happening while a genocide is is, is unfolding on in the same exact country they're sitting in. And that's 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 the root of the corruption, that, that they have a financial interest in this not being called the Genocide Olympics when it obviously is. Now, what I did in, as a journalist covering the games is I decided to elevate the voices of the victims, of the suffering, of the Uyghurs and the Tibetans and the Inner Mongolians and those Hong Kong student democracy activists. So I've spent the last weeks talking to all of them. They've got real stories to tell, newsworthy stories. And, you know, the opportunity of the Olympics is just uh, their best chance to raise awareness for the cause. So I think that's what responsible journalists should do in this time is, OK, well, China wants to use the games to le- to legitimize its its cruelty and its its horrendousness. I mean, you think of how, how audacious it is to put a Uyghur to light the torch while you're doing a genocide against Uyghurs. They're they're, they're saying to the Uyghurs, you can go no, sick. Carry the torch or go to the camps. Carry the torch or go to the camps. That's that's evil. That's grotesque. And so what I did is I, I got a lot of Uyghurs and Tibetans together and and you know helped tell their stories. And that's then that's giving voice to the voiceless. That's speaking truth to power. That's comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. That's what journalism should be on a good day. You're talking to Josh Rogan here at the Washington Post. Now let's shift to the athletes and what they can do, what they're being encouraged to do and not to do. We played this soundbite on Friday from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi with her advice for American athletes. Cut 25. I would say to our athletes, you're there to compete. Do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese government because they are ruthless. I know there is a temptation on the part of some to speak out while they are there. I respect that, but I also worry about what the Chinese government might do to their reputations, to their families. So, Josh, basically saying, keep your mouth shut, go and compete, don't say a word because you could bring harm to yourselves or your families because of the ruthless Chinese government. I just wonder what you think of that. And then based on your reporting, I know that there were some athletes who chose not to follow that advice. They boycotted, for instance, the opening ceremony. Do you have any context or any numbers on how many athletes participated in the boycott? Because it's one thing to ask them not to compete when the games are going on. I'm very sympathetic to the argument that they've trained their whole lives. This is their moment. Let them compete if the games are moving forward. But they don't have to be a part of a big spectacle that is designed to celebrate the host country in this regime responsible for all of these crimes. You reported last week that some of the Western athletes said, we want no part of that. We're not going to walk with our delegations during the opening ceremony. Was that a widespread protest? Right. Well, first on the Pelosi thing, listen, I, 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 I was uh, my, so uh, disappointed that Speaker Pelosi said that. I wanted to introduce her to Nancy Pelosi of 1989, who went to Tiananmen Square 
and said that the United States will not look the other way when the Chinese government commits human rights abuses. That was Nancy Pelosi. That wasn't that long ago, what, 33 years ago? And here she is being like, oh, well, you, you know, we don't want they're, – they're pretty ruthless. You shouldn't say anything. And, you know, I get it. So this relates to the second part of your question because, you know, I've spoken to a lot of these human rights activists who, are, who have been asking the athletes to do this boycott. First, if you can't boycott the games, at least don't go to the opening ceremony. Don't be a prop in the propaganda parade. You know what I mean? That's the least you could do. And all of these athletes told the activists the same thing. We're being told by our national committees we can't, you know, be very scared. The Chinese government is threatening us. And, you know, the couple of instances where we, there was one snowboarder who had a Uyghur flag on his ski. There was a, a, a British athlete who spoke out forcefully. Adam Rapone actually said very critical things about Chinese human rights abuses while in Beijing. None of them got scooped up. They're all fine. You know what I mean? It's really just a scare tactic. But it's hard to say that to athletes because you never know and you don't want to make them uncomfortable to ask them to do something they're not comfortable with. But really what the Chinese government is trying to do is to bully them, to shut up. And when Nancy Pelosi's like, oh, you better shut up. Well, that's not helpful at all, is it? So well, it's to helpful answer, to Beijing. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I, again, without attacking her motives, because I don't know what her motives are, maybe she really is concerned about their – well, it's still the wrong message because it, imagine if all of them just said – Oh no no no! We're not going to shut up. What are they going to do? Arrest 300 athletes in the middle of their, you know, pony show? It's not going to happen. So, but it's tough to say, say that to the athletes. So I get why the athletes are in the worst position. They don't have the money. They don't have the power. The corporations are the real ones who have the power, and they're all cowards. So uh, to answer your question directly, we're keeping the details of the people who boycotted because secret until they're ready to share it until because it's their decisions their lives but if you look at the numbers you'll see that uh the canadian team was less than half of them showed up at that ceremony and uh the u.s team there were uh you know i think 75 percent were there but some of them were not there for other reasons so it's hard to know but i promise you that uh the day that some of these people get back they're gonna speak publicly they're getting ready to do that and, okay uh, so there were know. protests there were boycotts they are not drawing attention specifically to themselves yet because of the warnings that we just heard for example from pelosi but they did take some action and we will be hearing from them so to be continued on that front Finally, Josh, since you mentioned the corporations, and we'll get into this coming up in our next hour, we have Congressman Waltz here from Florida and Ennis Cantor, Freedom of the Boston Celtics. He will be here as well talking about an ad that they ran together or tried to run, NBC won't accept it, going after some of these corporate sponsors. It's not really hard to look at some of the double standards at play here where some of these companies are very involved in so-called human rights and civil liberties and social justice and those various buzzwords for a domestic audience, they will not say word one about any of the issues with communist China and their crimes against humanity. I mean, it's an obvious point. It's just sitting there to be made. And yet I think it needs to be made over and over again because these are shameless people, perhaps incapable of being shamed. But we should at least try. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the 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 proof is in your next guest, Ennis Cantor Freedom, for years spoke out against the Turkish government and the NBA cheered him on. And then the second he spoke out against the Chinese government, uh, they treated him like like the like like he just took a dump in the pool. I mean, it's 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 he's, he could lose his career over this. Right. He might not be able to play again. And the NBA has done everything. And the NBA Players Association, especially, uh, has done the wrong thing consistently. And why is that? It's because. They still think that they're, the upside of, 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 of kowtowing to the TCP is higher than the downside financially because no matter what boycotts you could organize, it's not as much damaging to them as the benefits they get by uh, 
by going along and looking the other way at the genocide, and sometimes the case being com complicit in it and using the products from it and the forced labor and all of that. Now, you know, can we shame them into it? I, I think on a government level, this is what has to happen. That we have to, uh, first of all, divest all uh, uh, companies that are involved in forced labor. Uh, full stop. Next, university endowments have a lot. We have the nationwide sort of campaign beginning. Uh, we've already got a couple of universities going to scour their endowments for anything linked to the Uyghur genocide. You know, you get at these institutional investors. That gets at Wall Street. That's how you make the change. And that is happening, all right, because the the American people are, are tired of looking at the other way to genocide. They don't like it, okay, and they don't want to wear the genocide products on their backs, and they don't want to watch the genocide sports on their TV. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy that these corporations uh, don't seem to care, uh, but – if the if the financial incentives start tipping in the way of actually caring about the genocide, all of a sudden you'll see them change their tune. Josh Rogan at the Washington Post. If you like me are not watching the Winter Olympics this year very much or at all, I would encourage you to take some of that time that you might otherwise spend watching the figure skating or the hockey or what have you and read Josh's coverage talking about some of these victim groups, actual victim groups being serially and systematically oppressed in China. It's the type of coverage that the Chinese Communist Party does not want you to see, does not want you to read, does not want you to hear, and therefore I recommend it strongly. Josh Rogan's work at the Washington Post, his book is Chaos Under Heaven, which is all tied in specifically to the issue of China and geopolitics. Josh, always appreciate it. Anytime. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. It's the Guy Benson Show. We're back. We were talking last week about Javier Becerra, who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services under President Biden, who had no qualifications. He was a lawyer. He was Attorney General out in California, suing a bunch of conservative organizations. That's what he was known for. Then he got picked in the middle of a pandemic as the health secretary with no expertise in that area, which would be a strange choice at any point, but especially now during the pandemic. And we were talking about this because he's been thrown under the bus and they've been leaking about he's doing a bad job and all this. I mean, of course he is. <laughs> he was not equipped to do a good job because this is not his area at all. Well, CNN had a story that mentioned Becerra, and there's a little detail, quick little sentence in there that was eyebrow-raising. Quote, the day before he was announced as health secretary, Becerra was unaware the job was an actual possibility. He didn't even know that he was really being considered for the job in any serious way. And then he was announced the next day as the nominee for health secretary by President Biden because he was obsessed with picking a cabinet that looked like America. And this was a plug and play of a specific identity box, a health secretary with no health experience. We're in the very best of hands, are we not, with this administration? And by the way, speaking of Latinos and politics, interesting story today in Politico headline, the GOP is gaining among Texas Hispanics. Women are leading the charge. Huh. Give that a read. That blows up some narratives, I would say. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. Congressman Michael Waltz of Florida and Ennis Cantor Freedom of the Boston Celtics on an ad that they submitted to air during the Olympics that NBC will not put on TV. We'll play you the ad. We'll talk to both of them straight ahead. It's fine.
Five o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Final hour of the show on this Monday. Thanks for tuning in. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday. If you miss a moment, we have a podcast. It's free, on demand every day. GuyBensonShow.com. GuyBensonShow.com. Also, follow us on social at GuyBensonShow, Twitter, and Instagram. And this hour, the happy hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is delicious and refreshing. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can see where they're sold near you. They're expanding. You can also order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. As we begin our final hour today, I am very pleased to welcome not one but two guests. The rare double interview. And I'm stoked for this one. We have with us once again on the show, Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican of Florida from the 6th District down there. And Ennis Cantor Freedom, Center for the Boston Celtics. Not the likeliest duo, perhaps, but here they are. Congressman Ennis, great to have you here. Thank you. Appreciate Good it. Good to be with you. Ennis. You know, I've got to just tell you, Ennis, as a New York sports fan, I have never been able to bring myself to root for anyone wearing a Boston jersey, with one exception, and it's you. <laughs> so that's quite a distinction. I want to start with you. At what point, because I know you've been outspoken on human rights, and you've put your neck out there for years now on a number of these issues, but you've really stepped up your game in terms of being vocal and very prominent and not backing down seemingly more recently. Was there some sort of catalyzing event that made you decide that you were going to go all in on human rights? I was actually doing a basketball camp uh, this summer, and I was taking you know pictures with the kids one by one. And while I was taking a picture, one of the parents actually called me out in front of everybody and said, how can you call yourself a human rights activist when your Muslim brothers and sisters are getting tortured and raped in concentration camps in China every day, and you have been focusing on Turkey the last 10 years? I, I was shocked. You know, I turned around to that parent, and I was like, I promise you I'm going to get back to you. And, uh, and then I started to study what Uyghurs are going through, what, you know, Hong Kongers and Taiwanese people, are, Tibetans are going through. And I was like, you know what? I cannot just stay telling about all this, you know, human rights abuses done by China. So I have to say something. So that's when I started to talk about the issues. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And it really was the Hong Kong issue that caught my attention first with what you were getting involved in. I grew up in Hong Kong. I spent almost seven years as a kid in Hong Kong, and it is outrageous and depressing what's happening there. And that's just one of the crimes being perpetrated by the Chinese Communist Party. And the reason that we have these two guests together, Congressman Waltz and Ennis Cantor, is that they teamed up, actually, to create a TV ad, the purpose of which was to air during the Olympics on NBC to call out what they are describing, I think, accurately, tragically, as the genocide games. NBC will not air the ad that you're about to hear right now, Cut 18. The world's greatest athletic showcase. But just outside the show, rape, genocide, slave labor. American companies are drunk on Chinese dollars, entangled with communist dictators committing atrocities and propping up these genocide games staged by the Chinese Communist Party. And what can we do? Stand for freedom. Defund the dictators. When you see made in China, put it down. Congressman, talk about what spurred the ad 
and then this back and forth with NBC where you tried to buy some airtime, and they said no. Yeah, so so uh, Inez and and I, you know, separately and sometimes together, have been calling for the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, now to move the games. Uh, a number of people have been calling for the IOC to move the games out of Beijing for years now. Uh, but about a, a year ago, when it became clear the IOC was not going to move the games, it was the first in Congress to introduce a resolution calling for a full boycott. Uh, given the unleashing of COVID on the world, the cover-up. Uh, over a million Muslims in concentration camps, rape, torture, slave labor, coupled with Tibet, coupled with Hong Kong, coupled with the aggressiveness towards Taiwan, yep. it's the land, and now threatening our athletes, the last place we should be holding our games. And, and we wanted to call that out. We produced this, uh, this ad. Our legal team made sure it was completely compliant. And here's guy what NBC came back with. They came back with a non-rejection rejection which was, we're happy to run the ad as long as you completely change it and you strip out all of the company logos of all the corporate sponsors and on and on and on, which, of course, we're not going to do. It was supposed to run tonight. We have the, During the Olympics, we have the time reserved, but we're not going to let them censor us. We're not going to let them silence us. Uh, and at the end of the day, guy, NBC and all of these sponsors are afraid. Uh, they're afraid of the blowback from China who's going to hold their balance sheet and their profits at risk. Uh, and they're completely turning a blind eye to what I think is the greatest genocide in modern history uh, outside of the Holocaust. Congressman, on the point of these corporate sponsors, this is what drives me crazy. And I've had some pretty harsh things to say, I think deservedly so, about Nike, about the NBA, about a number of Western and American companies. You go down the list of some of these Olympic sponsors, Coca-Cola. Look, I love, I'm a Coke Zero fanatic, but I remember when Coke came out and bought into a bunch of lies about that election law down in Georgia. They made a stink out of that, but they're a proud sponsor of the Olympic Games in Beijing. Airbnb is another one. They're currently barring controversial Americans from using their services because they oppose their politics, but they have their name and their logo emblazoned all over the genocide games. It's really hard to keep track of what the values are and what the principles are beyond just making money. And I think that's insulting to a lot of people when you prop yourself up as this you know, woke, human rights-oriented, equity, you know, all these, you know, social justice, all of these terms for a specific domestic audience at home. But when it comes to the Chinese Communist Party and all those dollars, it's sort of like, look the other way and say nothing. Well, and so that's our point, Guy. You nailed it, right? They're woke uh, and, and, and preach social justice here at home, but completely are hypocritical when it comes abroad, when it comes to what's going on abroad. Look, you know, the IOC banned the Olympics in South Africa over apartheid. Everybody was on board with that, but then they're not in China. Uh, and the only difference is the amount of money they're making. So my and Inez's point in the ad was we're going right to the American people. Uh, and it's defund the dictators. Like we want to talk about defunding things around the world. Let's, not, let's stop supporting dictatorships. Let's stop supporting our greatest adversary and their military buildup. Uh, and, and we need to start voting with our wallets. I don't trust these corporate CEOs as far as I can throw them. Uh, I think they're all hypocrites, but the American people have woken up to it, and it's one of the reasons that you're seeing NBC's ratings right now have been cut in half. They're in the tank. Uh, and, and just quick, quick story, uh, you know, just heard from a, a, a colleague of mine that was in a diner in North Florida. The, somebody in the table next to them asked the wait, waitress to turn on the Olympics in this diner, and, uh, and the waitress said, no, we don't support genocide in this establishment. Wow. So the American people uh, are making the connection, and they're waking up. Yeah, it's sad. I love the Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics in particular. I'm a huge hockey fan. But 
I can't bring myself to do it this year for the reasons that you've laid out, Congressman. It's just the rap sheet keeps going. And let me ask you this, because you recently became an American citizen. And personally, let me welcome you into the American family. We are thrilled to have you. It was very moving watching your interviews, talking about that decision to apply for it and, and get U.S. citizenship. You obviously have a great bond to our country and the values that underpin what make this country great. There was a segment last week, late last week on ESPN, Around the Horn is the name of the show. There's sort of a sports pundit called J.A. Adande, who's a professor at my alma mater at Northwestern. He's a grad at Northwestern as well. And he was asked about the genocide games. And he basically said, look, we've got to compartmentalize sports versus politics. And sometimes the politics injects itself all over the place. And here in America, we have problems too. So who are we to judge? I'm paraphrasing what he said. I'll just play for you what he actually said. This is on ESPN Cut 19. I think it's standard in sports right now. You have to have a cognitive dissonance. You need to compartmentalize. We've never had a more enjoyable NFL playoffs in this country. And we've never had more people watching the playoffs. And yet it goes on amid the ongoing allegations against Dan Snyder, owning the Washington football team, and the, you know, the continuous concussion concerns and now the concerns about diversity and the allegations and the questions about competitive integrity even, all of that. And yet we're still enjoying the games. And who are we to criticize China's human rights records when we have ongoing uh, attacks by the agents of the state against unarmed citizens and we've got assaults on the voting rights of, of our people of color in various states in this country? So sports, I think it is possible and it's necessary more than ever to just shut everything out if you are to enjoy the actual games themselves. And it's what do you think of that when he says in America we can't really judge a genocide in China because we have our own problems? I mean, let me just let me just uh, tell you this. Obviously, America having her own problem. That yes, that, that is true. But but at the same time, you know, there are two million people over there are getting tortured and raped every day. Just put yourself in in their shoes. You know, if your mother, if your sister, if your wife or daughter was in those concentration camps and getting tortured and raped every day, would you still remain uh, silent? So I was like, you know, I think before, especially for an athlete, you have a huge platform to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And the other thing is to educate our young generation. There are so many, you know, uh, kids out there because of social media and all that stuff now are idolizing you and following your footsteps. So I feel like, you know, we should definitely talk about the issues that are happening, not just in Turkey, my home country, Turkey, or America, but all over the world. And obviously, you look at the records, China is the worst in the, about, you know, human rights abuses in the world right now. So, I mean, I mean, many people are scared to uh, talk about China because of they are they care too much about money and business and all that stuff. And uh, I think I, can, I, I feel like someone had to do it. So. And, Congressman, your reaction, because what jumped out at me was this really appalling false equivalence between the United States and some of our flaws. And we have some flaws. He was, I think, exaggerating one of them and lying about another one. But even if you want to grant his point, if you think that the law in Georgia that was passed on elections was voter suppression, let's say, for example, let's say you just grant him the point, which I don't, to put that in the same ballpark, so to speak, as literal genocide and the other things that the CCP is actively engaged in right now is sort of stunningly morally obtuse and blind and misleading. Yeah, I just don't know if he's ignorant or misleading. Uh, what you find with a lot of these people is is that somehow they have clients or somehow they're tied in. Remember, it's all about the money when it comes to, to China. Uh, and But, you know, he takes the point 
that sports needs to be isolated, sports needs to be compartmented. I wonder if we roll the tape, if he took that same point when it comes to Black Lives Matter activists. Oh, I'm sure he did When it comes not. to environmental activists. Would, would he take that point with women's soccer when of it comes not. to pay parity and women's rights? Uh, for that matter, would he have supported uh, – I guess he wouldn't have supported the IOC boycotting South Africa over apartheid because he would have thought that was an No, he would. He would. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, he, he, would, he would check every single box down the progressive list, but this is an exception. Exactly. And to your point on the companies, I just want your listeners to understand Coca-Cola is sourcing its sugar from Western China. Nike is is sorting its cotton. I mean, think of the parallels there. You literally have modern day slavery picking cotton uh, that is being provided into uh, Nike's apparel well. And for that matter, the uniforms at the IOC uh, is promoting Intel builds its chips. We just passed the law saying you can't do that anymore. Intel started to comply. And when the Chinese pushed back, Intel apologized. Uh, so, it, you know, the, none of these companies and none of these sports writers really have any backbone. Uh, and to make that kind of equivalence is just, like I said, I don't know if it's ignorant, disgusting, or both. No, it's, it's pretty depressing. And they're beholden. They're beholden and addicted to that market share and those dollars. And the values that they claim to support, it's just a total fraud. Quick break. Congressman Michael Walsh, Republican of Florida, and Ennis Cantor Freedom of the Boston Celtics, my guests. It's the happy hour. It's the Guy Benson Show. Back with both of them next. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican of Florida, and Ennis Cantor Freedom of the NBA, my guests. Last question for you, Congressman, and then I've got one more for Ennis as well. Speaker Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, we played the clip from her last week, urging American athletes not to speak out in Beijing, not to talk about human rights, because she said it would be potentially dangerous for them, for their physical safety, for the safety of their families, if they did so. What do you make of that guidance from the Speaker of the House? And isn't that basically a succinct case for why the United States should not have our fingerprints on these games at all, if that's what she believes? No, it completely is. But yet she she wouldn't support my bill, uh, you know, calling for a boycott, nor would she support my bill saying, you know what, if you're going to if you're going to sell products made with modern day slave labor that we know is also building the Chinese, uh, building up the Chinese military, then you shouldn't be able to sell to the Defense Department. None of those you would support. And the thing is, she's always been pretty tough historically about Tibet. She met with the Dalai Lama. She was tough, but she switched a few years ago, and coincidentally, it was about the time that her husband became heavily involved financially uh, in Chinese investments and in Chinese firms. And look, like this is how this is how the Chinese Communist Party operates. They co-opt people. Uh, she was Speaker of the House in 2006. It's no surprise that in 20, 2008, 2010, her husband starts getting these business opportunities over there in China. They co-opt people. They they soften their resolve. They silence them. Uh, and before you know it, you're on the take. And we're seeing that in corporate America and academia and the sports world uh, and in our politics as well. Ennis, you were talking about the platform that you have as an athlete, as someone who plays in front of thousands of people. You've got a following. You've got fans. You've got kids who look up to you. And part of what you say you would like to do with that platform is bring your message to anyone who will listen, including the president of the United States. And you just recently I saw this story. You said that you were talking to a Democratic lawmaker in Washington about trying to get in front of President Biden to discuss these issues. And you had something interesting to say about what that person told you. Can you just explain that? 
Yes, it was actually I was eating a lunch in a sandwich with one of the uh, senator, and we were sitting down, and I pretty much asked him, I was like, do you think President Biden knows my story? And the senator said, absolutely. Then I, was, I told him, we've been trying to, you know, reach out to him and in the White House the last six months. And, you know, me and my advisor sent pretty much uh, seven to eight emails to White House in the last uh, six to eight months. You know, and I was like, I haven't heard from him. What's going on? And he, the, the senator pretty much said, you know, obviously, uh, Turkey is a NATO ally. And him, the President Biden, pretty much like if he meets you, he's pretty much screw you to the uh, president of uh, Turkey. So right now he's kind of scared to meet with you. But, you know, we will just keep uh, pushing and see uh, where what happens. And that actually I was very shocked because I even asked the senator, I was like, so you're telling me right now, the currently the most powerful person in the world and the most powerful house in the world that is scared to meet with a 29 year old. NBA player, and he, he pretty much said, unfortunately, and I was very down. I was very shocked, and I just couldn't believe it. But then I was like, you know what? It is what it is. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, just trying to keep bringing awareness and trying to be the voice of all those innocent people out, out there who don't have a voice. But uh, that definitely, you know, that kind yeah. of broke my heart. Yeah, I mean, and good for you, and it should. And it's also, I think, disturbing just as an American citizen and someone who cares about our place in the world, if the president is too nervous for geopolitical reasons to send something of a signal sideways to Erdogan or to Xi by meeting with you, that is a very sad commentary. And I hope President Biden will get his head on straight on this one and meet with you, because I think that that's a meeting he ought to take. I think you might be able to learn from him. I think he would absolutely learn a thing or two from you, and it would send a signal. And yes, it might rankle some people who deserve to be rankled. We've got to leave it there, but what a fascinating conversation. You heard the ad. You can look it up on their social media, the ad that NBC won't run during these Olympics in Beijing. Congressman Mike Waltz, Republican Florida, and Ennis Cantor Freedom of the Boston Celtics. Gentlemen, really appreciate your time today. Keep up the fight. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. It's a fight worth having. It's the Guy Benson Show. We will step aside and be right back. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, and earlier today we caught up with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie talking politics 2022, 2024, and more. Here's part of that conversation with Christie. We were just talking about it in the last segment. Governor Murphy, current governor, Democrat, has announced today that one month from now he's going to lift the statewide mask mandate for kids in schools. And I know that he's getting a fair amount of applause for this because a lot of people have been waiting a very long time for some of these leaders, especially in blue cities and blue states, to catch up with the science that the rest of us have known and seen for more than a year New Jersey, I mean, it's it's crazy to say that March 7th, 2022 is some sort of breakthrough, but because of how recalcitrant so many of these Democrats have been and sort of part of this weird masking cult for children, Jersey making this change feels like something of a watershed. I don't know why he's waiting another month based on, I don't know what the data is there, but that's what he's decided to do. I just wonder what you make of the timing of this, the decision that was finally made, you know, as I alluded to, there are kids without masks all over the country doing fine all of last school year, all over, like around the world, in the UK and in Europe. Finally, certain parts in the U.S. are starting to slowly 
move in that direction? And is it too cynical for me to wonder if the politics of this changing is what is catalyzing these decisions as opposed to the science? No, because it's been politics for most of the time, Guy, that's been driving decisions in blue states, especially, uh, you know, my home state. Look, Phil Murphy had a near-death experience um, in November uh, in his re-elect, a re-elect that was supposed to be a 15- to 20-point win, wound up being a very narrow three-point win where he lost seven seats in the state legislature. Um, he, he now has much less of a margin for error in the state legislature than he had before. They are passing a, a bill, and the Senate, new Senate president has said he's going to move this bill to restrict uh, Governor Murphy's emergency powers. Um, and so I think the politics are closing in on Phil Murphy, and that's why he did this. He did this, I think, and I think you'll see, he'll probably wind up avoiding that piece of legislation now um, that was going to severely limit his emergency powers. And so I think it's all about politics. And the waiting of a month is because he's a stubborn guy. And he doesn't want to admit he was wrong um, to have the masks on for this long. So he's going to give it a month to make it seem like, you know, I was right about this and we still need another month, but I'm going to, uh, you know, do it uh, and get rid of it after a month. It's an it's a emblem of Phil Murphy's declining political position in the state capitol and his stubbornness. And what's interesting, Governor, is that, you know, at least he's doing it. And again, you're not even going to get really half a clap from me because it's a year delayed and he's delaying it another month for no reason. And I really do think that this is a political calculation. You got to at least recognize that at least, you know, he sees what that calculation now is. He feels the shift in public opinion. He understands that it's not just COVID fatigue, but also the data. When you combine these things, the people out there in America are restless and they're tired of this stuff, especially when it flies in the face of science. There are lots of other Democrats who have yet to wake up to that reality. Like Murphy, as you mentioned, almost lost in November, had a real scare. And so maybe he's a little bit more attuned to this stuff, but it feels like so many people have dug in so hard on masking kids, almost like this tribal litmus test, right, where you have the blue counties in Virginia suing Governor Yunkin over what now a Democrat has announced in New Jersey, another Democrat has announced in Delaware. I mean, are those lawsuits going to go against Democrats, too, or are those only the lawsuits to signal resistance to Republicans. It just feels all like politics all the way down with kids almost as the pawns in all of this. But you've got other folks tripling down on this stuff, like Stacey Abrams, who put a photo out there of herself in a room, a classroom filled with kids, forced to wear masks. She's the only human being in the room not wearing a mask. Big smile, front and center. It's obviously an outrageous photo that she took and then decided to share on her social media. And rather than maybe saying this might be perhaps a moment to shift the conversation and move away from forced masking of children, she's saying, no, it is shameful and a lie to criticize me for this, especially during Black History Month. And I support the masking of kids in schools. I mean, that is pretty brazen stuff from her. Yeah, I, uh, let me let me deal with both of those. First on Phil Murphy, I, I think you're right, guy. He deserves credit. He deserves credit for being a craven, crass hypocrite. Um, and and now 
that that cravenness and crassness serves his political purpose, he'll stop torturing children by forcing them to wear masks in school for no reason. So I'll give him credit. That's the credit I'll give him. And I'd say <laughs> Abrams. Uh, you know me. I'm, I'm, I'm just uh-huh. yeah, magnanimous as always. My full interview with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, a Republican, available online as part of our free podcast. Every day on demand, totally free of charge. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's there each and every day, the whole show for free. When we come back, the home stretch, a recap of a pretty special weekend. Out in the heartland, Lawrence, Kansas, what an experience. We'll talk about that when we return. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. Very glad to have you here. Thanks for listening. If you missed any of today's show, you missed a lot. As you always do if you miss the live show, 3 to 6 Eastern. But fortunately, thankfully, there's a podcast for that. It is free. It is on demand at GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be on Kennedy's show tonight in the 7 p.m. hour Eastern Time, Fox Business Network. Hope to see you there. Meanwhile, just got back last evening from a weekend in Lawrence, Kansas. We did the show from Lawrence on Friday, as many of you will recall. Great opportunity to be there. And then what I was in town for was this Christmas gift from my in-laws, my father-in-law in particular, who's a KU grad and a Jayhawks basketball fan. He had said, hey, As a gift, we've got some friends who are very connected into the athletic department and big donors. We're going to get great seats. You pick the game. So I picked the Baylor game, Baylor being the defending national champion, Baylor being kind of in the top ten all season. This would be a great matchup, so I assumed. And certainly was very hyped. So the game was fantastic. We'll get to that in just a second, but... On Friday after the show, my in-laws have some friends, Rand and Teresa, who are extremely high profile in the KU athletics universe, and they put together a little reception with some cocktails and some past hors d'oeuvres and that sort of thing, and they asked me to say a few words, and I talked actually about sports and some stories related to KU, and then did Q&A about anything people wanted to talk about, and they wanted to talk about politics. They wanted to talk about Washington. They wanted to talk about crime and the economy and inflation and Biden and 2024, and there were all sorts of different questions asked. So that was a really cool experience, and it was wonderful to meet so many Fox fans and Fox viewers out in Kansas. Although it's funny, Lawrence is a little tiny blue spot in a red state as sometimes these big college towns are. It's by far the most progressive area in Kansas. So conservatives are certainly outnumbered in that city, but not statewide, obviously. Then the next day we got up and we were given a tour by one of the Jayhawk standouts from yesteryear under Roy Williams, Greg Gurley, and he very kindly showed us around. We had met the previous night the athletic director at KU, who actually came to Kansas from Northwestern, where he was one of the associate ADs, so that was a neat connection. But Gurley showed us everything behind the scenes at Allen Fieldhouse. If you're not a sports fan, that may mean nothing to you. If you are a sports fan or a college sports fan in particular, Allen Fieldhouse is legendary. And now I understand why. 
it is this old, old venue that packs in over 16,000 people. It doesn't have a bunch of the bells and whistles. It's old school. Now, the locker room and those other facilities, those had all the bells and whistles. The amount of money poured into the program is just wild. I know recruiting is very much an arms race these days, and it makes sense that Kansas is near the top every year because they have a really good coach in Bill Self. In fact, this blew my mind. Bill Self, the coach of Kansas, he's in his 19th season there. He has lost, over those 18-plus years, 16 games ever at Allen Fieldhouse, home games for Kansas. 16 losses ever. So less than one a year. Meanwhile, his teams have won 15 Big 12 or conference championships. So he's neck and neck with total home losses and conference championships. That is a level of success as a Northwestern basketball fan that I literally cannot fathom. They've got a great coach who clearly knows how to get the job done. And then very generous boosters and donors that turn this thing into, I mean, I don't know if an NBA facility would be nicer. The locker room was cool. They have this uh, sort of shower area with hot tubs and everything. It's hilarious. The showers have the shower heads up at about nine feet because these are huge guys. So I stood in one of the showers. I got a photo where I'm pointing up at the shower head. I'm not short. I'm six feet tall. I look like Gutfeld in this context with the shower way, way up there. But when you have these giant bodies, I guess that's what is required. And it's funny because the countertops are kind of chest high or maybe rib cage high for the average person, but just sort of normal for a tall basketball player. So we got the whole inside look, very cool. And then the game itself turned out to be a blowout. Kansas had lost at home to Kentucky, one of those 16 losses that I mentioned ever for Bill Self. They got run out of the building by the Kentucky Wildcats the previous week. Then they went on the road. They beat Iowa State. Then they were coming home against a number eight opponent in the country and just blew the doors off of Baylor. Baylor could not shoot, could not hit the broadside of a barn. I think they shot 25% from the field. Kansas, as badly as Baylor played, Kansas played that much better. And it turned into just a, a laugher. It was 35 points at one point. It was kind of over at halftime. So the energy inside Allen Fieldhouse, and it was extremely loud. Very, very loud. They call it the fog, P-H-O-G. Boy, just an intimidating environment. Your ears will ring coming out of there. But once they ran away with it with Kansas, some of the enthusiasm was just a little bit damper just because there was no drama. They were just pounding Baylor. So that was a statement win and a bounce-back win at home in front of the fans And what a great venue. And I'm just grateful to everyone who helped make it happen. If you're a KU fan, you're probably loving this segment. If you're a Baylor fan, you've probably turned it off already. If you're a Kansas State fan, maybe you're muttering under your breath a little bit. And if you're not a sports fan, you're like, okay, it's another one of Guy's sports segments. But look, I'm really into it. This was a really cool bucket list type of experience. Although now I kind of have to wonder, maybe 
the KU fans need to bring me back there on a regular basis. I'm not saying that I was fully responsible for their victory over Baylor, but, you know, many people are saying, kind of like the Atlanta Braves, how I turned their season around with my first pitch at Truist Park. I threw out the first pitch. They weren't playing well. They turned the season around, win the World Series. If KU wins the whole thing this year, if KU ends up as national champion, then I think I'm going to really have to start picking very carefully which team's venues I choose to go to. Because maybe I'll have some sort of uh, Midas touch here. We're a ways off from March Madness. I don't want to get too out of control here. But it was awesome. Thanks to everyone. It was uh, amazingly hospitable. The accommodations were great. Everyone was extremely friendly. A lot of Fox viewers out there, as I mentioned. And Christine, I know you're not a sports fan at all. So the idea of traveling all this distance to go to watch a team that you're not even a fan of might be a foreign concept to you. But you can tell that this is something that animates me. And knowing you, you probably have questions, as curious Christine. I actually, I have an idea. I think, and I mean, I know you have some sort of agent, but think of me as another type of agent. Oh, boy. I'm thinking that we pitched the idea that you show up to a game somewhere, maybe get paid to sit in that game, and you can turn their team around. So, like, I can go to different places and say, hey, you know, Guy Benson has a record here. Yeah, but what happens inevitably when I do that and then the team loses because there's no there there. It's totally made up. It's sort of like you're psychic, right? Like you can't make these promises to people when it's really based on nothing at all. Well, we pocket as much as we can. And then when no, it just keep the grift down. alive for as long as, and then and then just run out of the building with our money at halftime if they're losing. Yes. Yeah, that seems ethical. I'm always full of ideas of how to make money. None of them have worked. Just I'm, I'm yeah, they're they're not good ideas. They're 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 ideas. Uh, I'll give you that. <laughs> but the people of the people I've never been to Kansas. The people of Kansas, they're nice people. Friends, very, very nice. They're much more welcoming than the people of maybe, say, New Jersey. I would say in Fair some I ways, think? perhaps, yes. And what about the food? It's always about the food for me, too, and the drinks. Yeah, we had some good food and beverages. They've got some good steaks out there, of course. And I can't complain. We had a great time. It was very fun. The people were extreme, almost like aggressively nice. It's like, hang on, is this for real? And I will point out on Friday's show, we had Senator Marshall on the air. And then at the game, I was sitting like three rows behind Senator Moran, the other Kansas senator. And I chatted with him for a little while. So I hit both U.S. senators on the trip. That's not a bad batting average now that I'm mixing my sports metaphors. Did you ask him if he wants to join the show? You always should be I, thinking about the show. I actually did mention it. I said, hey, we had Marshall on. we got to get you on. And he was very nice. He said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So let me hand that ball off to you, Christine. Now I'm bringing my third sport into this. I've got basketball. I just made a baseball <laughs> reference. And now football. But you've got the ball. Run with it. Senator Moran from Kansas. When it makes sense with the news cycle, let's get him on because it was fun to meet him. 
And he was just one of 16,300 or so people screaming their heads off in that building. And it's still maybe, uh, you know, earplugs might be a good idea if you ever find yourself inside Allen Fieldhouse, especially if you're rooting for the opposition, because that's not probably the most fun place to be when you're losing. Even though everyone's very nice and polite, it's just loud, loud, loud. Really cool weekend. And since I mentioned Atlanta and my experience there last summer, I will point out that we are headed back to Atlanta later on this week for an event at our affiliate at Extra down there, which I cannot wait for. More details to come on that. In the meantime, see you on Kennedy tonight. Back here tomorrow on the radio, same time, same place. Have a good evening. It's The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.